Amen. Thank you, Judy. It's wonderful to know our God's always on time. We are in John chapter 5 tonight. I'm going to read verses 1 to, uh, 1 to 8, or 1 to 9. And um, actually, I've only got half the title in the bulletin. It's Help for the Hopeless and Hope for the Helpless. So I'm asking you to find that to stand in God's honor. John 5, we're going to read the first nine verses. <clears throat> Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now, there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethsaida. Bethsaida, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, Do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me in the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, Get up. Pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. Let's pray. Lord, here we are, Father, as we look at this one who was helpless, Lord. You helped him. We look at this one who was hopeless. You provided hope. You're still in that business today, Lord. As we look at this account, remind us, Father, that you love us with a perfect love and unconditional love, Lord. Guide us in this time. In your name we pray. Start out, we read that Jesus was at this pool, a healing pool. A pool where people would come who had um, severe ailments, severe difficulties. They were termed disabled, which means they're not able, that they're powerless. You know, as, as I thought of this message, um, as we started out talking about the fact that, that this guy was powerless. Yeah, I don't know how long I've been saying this, but it just seems to get more and more definite in my mind that we all to some degree are control freaks and we control very little. And here is a guy who's in a terrible situation. And I thought about how God is able to hear our hurt in the midst of hearing so many voices. And it made me think of another time in Luke chapter 8 of a woman who had suffered from bleeding, severe bleeding for 12 years. And she was in a crowd where Jesus was. And she thought, man, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, if I could just touch him, I would be healed. And so it says that she reached out and she touched him. And then Jesus said, who touched me? And the disciples were like, hey, Lord, you know, there's all kinds of people here. Everybody's crowding in around trying to get near you and touch you, Lord. What do you mean, who touched you? No, 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 somebody touched me. 
And then she decided she needed to confess. And so she came to him. She humbled herself. And he said, uh, your faith has made you whole. And, you know, as I thought about that, you know, there's all these people crowding around Jesus. They're hurting. They're wanting his touch. And yet he knew that she had touched him. He knew about her name. Although there, there was all these other voices, he pinpointed her. And it gives me hope as, you know, you think, God, do you really hear me? I mean, I'm so little compared to so many people on this planet in such a vast universe. But there's comfort in knowing that God hears you. That God knows you're hurt. He, he, he knows where you are. Uh, look at this guy in verse 3. Look who is there. It says there's a great number of disabled people who used to lie. The blind, the lame, the paralyzed. Like I said, it means not able. It means powerless. Uh, they had no power to see, or no power to hear, no power to walk, or no power to gain healing from the ailment that had changed their lives. The Bible often illustrates sin with disease. And there are some that want to connect the two and, and say, you know, it's because you don't have faith or it's because of something that happened in your family or in your life. And that often was the thinking in Jewish times. You have this disability because your parents did something or you did something and God is punishing you as a result. Matter of fact, turn over a couple of chapters here to John chapter 9. Look at the first couple of verses here in John 9. It says, As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. Jesus said, it's not because of something he did or something that another relative did and he's suffering the results of it. He said, this has happened so that I may be glorified in his life. And, you know, when it comes to the issue of suffering, we really don't have answers. People are hurting and what we can offer them most is a shoulder to cry on, someone to hug, just to be there for them. I'll never forget years ago, I would go to these pastors' meetings, and there was a group of us, and one of the guys was dying of liver cancer. And uh, it had taken such a toll on him. And he was still preaching in the church, and uh, he was just so sick. And he came one day, and he said, Guys, I just do not understand why this is happening to me. And he just, you know, he just kind of fell apart. And, you know, we're fix-it people. We try to fix stuff. So, you know, the guys tried to say something meaningful. And we kind of went around our little circle. And, you know, it got to me. And I said, you know, David, I have no clue to you. I just know I love you. Uh, we got done. He came up to me after and whispered in my ear. He said, you're the only one who said anything that made any sense and not agree. Because we don't understand the full pain of suffering. But I don't believe suffering is just 
merely as a result of the consequences of our sin or someone else's sin. Yeah, there's consequences for sin. Don't get me wrong. That is part of it. But it's not always connected to that. I'll never forget Steve Freeman. I don't know if you guys remember uh, when he came here when, when I, Cindy and I first came. Uh, he's an evangelist and he has cerebral palsy. And I'll never forget a story that Steve told. Uh, Steve said that there was this one guy who said, you know, you've got cerebral palsy. You don't have enough faith, man. If you had enough faith and you really trusted God, He would heal you of this illness. And so Steve said, he looked at him and he said, what's that on your nose? He said, what do you mean? He said, these things on your nose. He said, you mean glasses? He said, yeah. He said, why are you wearing them? He said, he said do you not have enough faith? I love it. But the idea of a God, we are powerless, and He steps in with His power to touch us and to meet our greatest need. Sin is, is often a, a picture of of disease and physical suffering and ailment. Uh, a couple of verses here. Second uh, Corinthians 4, verse 4. says, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. So the picture here is a spiritual blindness being compared to to physical blindness, those who are blind. Uh, here's a verse out of Isaiah 42.7 that speaks not only of spiritual blindness, but spiritual deafness. But those who trust in idols, who say to images, you are our gods, will be turned back in utter shame. Hear you, deaf. Look, you blind. And see. Yes, sin, uh, it does, it makes people, it makes people we're sick. Sin sick. And as you look at one who, who wastes away because of sin, so we're on this course of headed toward eternity and the ravages of sin, you know, the, the result of the fall of mankind, the result of sin has brought physical ailment into this world and thus ultimately death and, and, and suffering as it all comes back to that. Numbers 32.23, be sure your sin will find you out. Uh, there comes a time where our sin's not going to be hidden anymore. It's going to be before our master. Uh, here's a quote I'm sure you guys have heard. It says, Sin takes you farther than you want to go, keeps you longer than you want to stay, costs you more than you plan to pay. A guy named John who grew up in Lincoln, Illinois, and he graduated high school in 1968 from Mount Pulaski High and it was a really good musician. He ended up joining a rock band, and he joined a, a formed part of a band called Head East, which in the 70s actually had a couple of hit songs. And their popularity began to wane, and so he tried to get some help. You know, what do I need to do to get you know popular and you know stay up there and record hits? He said, well, one thing you need to do is get into the party scene, because you know, that's what rockers do. And so he started drinking heavy and doing some cocaine, uh, got addicted to both, and became severely depressed. He thought about committing suicide. And in the midst of that big struggle, John's wife became a Christian. She trusted Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior. 
and God began to dramatically work in her life. And so she began to talk to John about, you need to come to church. You need to come to church. He's like, man, I don't want to go to church, but she's never going to stop if I don't go. So John went to church. And he was strangely drawn. And afterward, he started talking to the pastor. And he didn't expect it to happen, but right there he gave his heart to Christ too. And his wife said, you know, John, said, God can use your gifts. Said, uh, there's this uh, band down the road looking for a lead singer that loves to sing glory to God. And they're, you know, a Christian rock band, you know. And he says, why don't you try out? So John tried out and he became the lead singer of this band called Petra that actually traveled uh, in every state in the United States and 38 countries. And, you know, God freed him from his addictions and, and did a work. He was powerless, and God entered his life and, and set him free and did that type of work. Uh, and then this man was not only powerless, he was helpless. He was crippled. He was unable to walk. He was fully disabled. All he could do was to lie down. And uh, in his suffering, I'm sure he felt trapped. It says here in verse 7, Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water stirred. <laughs> While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. He just felt like there was no way out, that everything was impossible. He needed help and there was no help. I, I, maybe you're there tonight. Maybe there's some kind of issue you're dealing with and you just feel like, it, what's the use? It's helpless. Uh, I'm helpless. Uh, I, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to turn. And, you know, we just tend to, you know, that, I always think of that hymn that says, prone to wander, prone to leave the God I love. Uh, over 40 times in the Old Testament, I discovered this phrase, that God's people did evil in the eyes of the Lord. You know, you think they'd get it together, but they would always drift away, and they'd have to get what I call spiritual spanking, and God would draw them back and to Himself because He's a Father that loves them. But they went through this painful time um, they would repeat their folly. and uh, But, you know, here here was a guy, he, he honestly, he, he needed someone to help him. And, and, uh, may God give me and you, because we're the church, eyes to see those people, <laughs> ears to hear where they are. Because it is so easy, and I'm guilty of it, and, and I suspect all of us are to a degree, just walking right by those people every day and, and just not seeing it, just not catching it. And here was a guy, he said, there's no one to help me. May we not be guilty of that. All right, uh, let me move on here. He was hopeless. Look at verse 5. It says, One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. I'm sure for him this situation seemed hopeless. 38 years. 38 years of, of not being able to get down in this pool, this water that had healing properties. And, and he would sit there and someone would go ahead of him and no one would help him down in the water. And he thought, what hope is there? This is never going to work out. Why even try? It's a hopeless situation. 
Man, 38 years. I was trying to think back. Do I have any memory 38 years ago? 38 years ago, I was in the sixth grade. So my memory of the sixth grade, I was really noticing girls, but they really scared me. Um, they just made me nervous. Made my heart beat fast and made me kind of sweat. And I was afraid they'd catch me looking at them, you know, that kind of stuff. And there was this girl, Manette Osteen. I still remember. They called her Punky. This was even before the Punky Brewster thing, I think. But, uh, and I, I'd kind of look over at her and I'd say, she looks pretty good. You know? I'd look away. She might see me. So I'd, you know, I was all nervous. I thought, you know, I ought to talk to her. I mean, you know, she's probably seen me looking at her, but I couldn't get up the courage. Well, one day after school, uh, we didn't have a bus that uh, ran. We were, I went to city schools and somebody had to pick you up. And so we were standing out there waiting to be picked up. I saw that Punky's mom come there talking to her. And she saw me and she goes, Hey guys, I hadn't even talked to her. And she's talked with her mom. And I'm thinking, This is the moment of truth. I'm thinking, Son, you've got to get it together. You've got to get some courage. You've got to say something to her. This is it, man. So I took one step her direction and ran away. And never did talk. It was just too much stress in the sixth grade. Well, this was 38 years ago. And all the years that had passed. For this guy, it was years, 38 years. Uh, is this ever going to change? Is, is my situation ever going to change? Is there ever going to be any hope? Is, is anyone ever going to reach out to me? Um, is anyone ever going to meet my need? Is there any hope? Someone has said... A man can live a few weeks without food, a few days without water, a few minutes without oxygen, but not without hope. hope. Uh, I read uh, in preparation for this about a, a teacher who decided she was going to work homebound type ministry with students. And she was a grammar teacher, and there uh, she got a call to go to the hospital to teach grammar to this uh, boy who was severely burned and she went and she couldn't believe how badly burned he was and it was all she could do to keep her composure as she taught him and he kind of moaned and groaned and not really able to say much but she thought this is my job I've got to do it I got you know I'm here to teach him I gotta try so she managed to struggle through the lesson and she felt bad she thought He's in so much pain. I don't know if this is the right thing to do. And, you know, just having that negative self-talk. And anyway, the next day she came back and thought, well, you know, should I go see him? And this boy's nurse came up to her. And she said, what did you do yesterday? And she goes, oh, I'm sorry. I, I, I probably shouldn't have done that. I realize he's in so much pain and, and I, I shouldn't have... Wait, 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 the nurse says... You don't understand. We were trying to treat him, and he was not responding at all, and he was so depressed that we thought, what are we going to do? And it's different. <laughs> all of a sudden, he's, he's helping us. He's trying to get better. What did you do? She thought, I don't know. What did I do? <laughs> and then it was a little bit later, as he continued to improve, she found out what had happened. 
she came in to teach him, and at first he thought, what in the world? I'm hurting. Why is anyone coming to do grammar? I'm going to die anyway. But then as she continued the lesson, in his mind he thought, wait a minute. A teacher wouldn't come in here to teach grammar to a boy that's going to die. So it must be that I'm going to live. <laughs> what happened? Without realizing it, she had provided hope. And that made all the difference. You see, and that's what Jesus did for this one. He provided hope. Hope makes the difference. Uh, now, the next part, uh, not only hope for the helpless, but help for the hopeless. As someone has said, living the Christian life isn't hard. It's impossible. <laughs> only Christ can make that happen. Uh, things were hopeless for 38 years. But praise be to God, a Savior entered his life. Uh, look at what he sees, verse 6. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? I actually don't like this translation. Um, it, it says he learned, but really the picture is much broader. Not merely that he learned, but he already knew. Matter of fact, I want to read it from the Amplified. You know, that takes the sentence and makes it a paragraph. Uh, he says, When Jesus, Jesus noticed him lying there helpless, knowing that he had already been a long time in that condition, he said to him, Do you want to become well? Are you really in earnest about getting well? You see, what he sees, well, Jesus sees it all. And he knows you. He knows your heart. He knows your mind. He knows your motives. He knows it all. You know, we always quote Hebrews 4.12. Do you know Hebrews 4.13? In Hebrews 4.12, the Word of God is living and active. Hebrews 4.13 says, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. God sees it all. And He knows it all. A couple of verses here. Turn me to Luke chapter 5. Um, look at a couple of verses. Starting at verse 21, he's having a conversation uh, with some teachers that uh, are fighting against him. The Pharisees and teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, Who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? But that you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. Immediately he stood up and went with him. Jesus knew what they were thinking. Jesus knew their hearts. Jesus knew. That's our Lord. He knows what's going on, guys. Um, and, and, you know, I think of Peter. Remember Peter? He says, hey, guys, who does everybody say that I am? And he got some different answers, you know. John the Baptist, Elijah, the prophet. Um, but who do you say I am? And, you know, Peter jumped right in there, and Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And remember what Jesus said, blessed are you, Pete. He said, this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood. This was revealed to you by the Father. You know, Peter's like, 
Yeah, man, I got it now. And, and then it wasn't just a few minutes later what he said, you know, he rebuked Jesus. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. I mean, you know, there's this up and down. <laughs> you know, this, this one minute you got it, Peter, and the next minute you don't. And yet the Lord knew Peter the whole time. I love it because, you know, it says Simon, you know, gives the picture of a reed blowing in the wind. He said, no, your name's going to be Peter, which means rock. He says, you're going to be the little rock that's built on the big rock. You know, on the big rock. But what Jesus saw him not merely as Peter was at that moment, but who he would be. And that's our God. He sees it all, and, and He sees the heart. And He, he moves that direction in, in seeing the heart. Um, remember with Judas, uh, He knew that Judas would betray Him. He said, you know, go ahead and do what you have to do as Judas headed out to betray. And then, of course, I think of the woman caught in adultery. Everybody else is ready to stone her. You guys know the account. <laughs> he says, throw, you know, go ahead, stone her, throw the rocks. He says, um, he says, but, uh, you know, let the first one to throw the stone be the one without sin, you know. He said, I, I love that because it said like the, uh, they started from the oldest first. And what's that say to me? It said, you know, the ones that had been around the longest that had, had more chance to sin. And so, oh, wait, I've sinned, so there's no throwing the rocks, no throwing the stone. What happened? Jesus said, you know, I don't accuse you. He said, go and sin no more. He saw her heart. That's what it was. Had she sinned? Oh, yeah. Had she broken that Jewish law and deserved according to that custom? Yeah, but Jesus saw her heart. Jesus forgave her. He gave her that new start. And, and, and He saw her. And He does. He sees us as we really are. You know, we might be dumb sheep, but He, he sees a good heart. <laughs> uh, next, I want you to see what He searches. Notice here there in verse 6, He says, Do you want to get well? Well, I mean, that sounds kind of ridiculous at first. You say, what do you mean do you want to get well? Um, and who really wants to be sick? Uh, Miss Emma Watson on the, Emma, uh, on the Andy Griffith show. And Andy said about her, he said, you know, she's been enjoying poor health for years. And you know, there's some, some people like that. You know? It's like they can't, I mean, they love to sit down and, and, and just give you a full account of what's wrong with you. For hours. <laughs> If you're not careful, you can't, you know, you almost, you, you know. And, and uh, uh, you know, in, in what he's doing, uh, he says, do you want to get well? And, and he was, he was searching, this, he was searching this one's heart to find out um, the conditions. You do you, you want to get saved? Do you want this to straighten out? Then listen, listen to what I'm going to say. And, and that brings us to what he says, verse 8. Jesus said to him, get up. Pick up your mat and walk. So the first thing he said was, get up. Well, I guess he hadn't heard that in 38 years. What do you mean, get up? I've been laying here. And then pick up your mat. We can't pick up your mat till you get up. And then once you get up, he said, walk means it's time to start caring for yourself. You've been looking for someone else to help you. I'm going to heal you so that you'll be able to help yourself be able to work and be able to go forward. And, and, you know, that's what he said to him. And I want you to see here, it's beautiful that the salvation uh, was immediate. What a beautiful picture here. Verse 9, at once the man was cured. You know, I love it that at the moment we bow our hearts to Jesus and say, forgive me of my sin. He forgives us. You know, it's not a process, you know, like one guy said, you know, 
you know, where Jesus says, you catch him, I'll clean him. You know? And I mean, at the moment, he cleans us. At once, salvation comes. At that moment, it's, it's grace, amazing grace, <laughs> that just covers us and, and fills us and changes us and transforms us. And it's immediate. It, it happens in an instant. instant. And, and that's our God. That's how He works. And, and I want you to notice the sign here of how real it was as we drop down um, in chapter 5 to verse 14. Well, let me start at 13. It says, The man who was healed had no idea who it was for Jesus had slipped away in the crowd that was there. And I thought, pick up the mat. He says, Later Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you're well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Then the man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who made him mad. He couldn't keep quiet. He said, you know, I was helpless, I was hopeless, but not now. And I've got to tell you, I've got to tell you why I'm not helpless, why I'm not hopeless. I was a guy that laid there for 38 years. Notice anything different? Can't you just see it, man? I wonder if you could take Jerusalem dance lessons. You know, come on now, 38 years. What a blessing this God had worked. And he's still in that business. Um, we're to convey that message that he provides help for the hopeless and hope for the helpless. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for a chance to look at your word, to be reminded of this account of this man who is disabled. He's not able. But you are more than able, Lord. You met his deepest need. And Lord, you still meet us where we are, God, and you provide forgiveness. You may not take away every struggle. Well, you don't take away every struggle. My Father, you promise to forgive us of our sin and to give us hope. I pray, Father, that you speak to our hearts that you have. Father, show us where to go. There's people out there that feel really stuck. They feel hopeless and helpless. Help us minister to them. Help us, Father, to know how to, to love them and show them the source of that love, which is Jesus Christ. And that's what I pray for. Uh, Lord, the altar's open. Bring who you may want to come to the altar to pray. Uh, Father, maybe some business that needs to be dealt with in hearts tonight. Uh, do that work, Lord. Have freedom to do that. We're not smart enough, big enough, or able enough to handle that, but you are. So, Father, we just invite you. We call this invitation, we call it response. Father, I, I just want to call it your time. Father, may this be your time. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.